says, and when he had spoken this, Jesus said to him, follow me. And then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who had also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrayed you? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. And Father, we humbly ask as we open the word of God this morning, as always, that your very spirit that inspired and recorded what you did in the word of God. Lord, we think of that last statement we read that if all was written, Lord, how much more could have been told. But Lord, you sovereignly determined what your spirit would give to us. And we accept that as your inspired, sufficient, infallible, and errant word and pray that your Holy Spirit this morning would help us understand every intent and purpose behind why you gave us this portion of scripture. Please prepare our hearts, Lord, and speak to us by your Spirit's ministry and bless your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, important but searching question this morning would be this. Where honestly is your focus right now? Where is your focus this morning? And let me just say simply, in case you fall asleep in the midst of the message, it should be on Jesus. Your focus should be on Jesus. It should not be on yourself. It should not be on other people should not be on circumstances or the opinions or ideas of other people. And the reason is because these things and many others we could rattle off can become distractions that take our focus off of the Lord, that cause us to get our eyes off of the Lord and onto things where they should not be. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. The idea is to fasten our eyes upon the Lord. And whether it's curiosity about this or that or feelings of condemnation, again, whether it's our circumstances or concerns or comments we hear, it is a very common mistake for all of us at times, even as Christians, to get our attention upon the wrong things to get our focus off track and to get our eyes off of the Lord. And we need to get our eyes on the Lord and to keep our eyes on Jesus and continually seek to do that as much as possible so that we can personally follow him and obey his will for our lives. And that's really the lesson of our passage this morning, keeping our focus on Jesus and not letting things distract us, and if they do, quickly getting our eyes back on the Lord. Remember the backdrop contextually at this point in John's Gospel. Jesus has risen back from the dead, and he has been making multiple appearances to his disciples before he returns back up to heaven 
to his throne from which he originally came before he came to this earth and lived in the body of flesh as a man to die on the cross for our sins. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts chapter 1 that Jesus was continually seen by them in his resurrected form after he rose from the dead for about the span of 40 days, speaking to them about things pertaining to the kingdom of God before he ascended back into heaven. Now, despite Peter's failure, which we saw a few chapters back, where he drastically denied the Lord, we saw in our last study together in chapter 21 that Jesus has now publicly restored Peter. He commissioned Peter to Christian service, particularly to ministry, which Peter would ultimately go into, we see in the book of Acts. And then he even prophesied about Peter's future once again. And the good news is this prophecy of Jesus about Peter's future was not that Peter was going to fail. Instead, it was going to be the exact opposite. Instead of failing, because he had learned a lot through his failure by this point, the prophecy actually was that Peter was going to remain incredibly faithful to the Lord until his dying breath. In fact, if you remember and draw your attention just back with me to verse 18 and 19, we close with this last time. Jesus said to Peter, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, a reference to him being crucified, which was how he'd actually died. And another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this Jesus spoke, verse 19, signifying by what death he would die. Look at it to glorify God. So something exactly opposite was going to happen. Peter, the remainder of his days now, was not going to fail in the drastic way he once did. But instead, he had learned through that. He had been humbled through that. The Lord has restored him now, called him back to serve. And he says, Peter, you now are going to remain so faithful. You're actually going to die in a manner that's going to glorify God and bring pleasure to me and to my father. And this man who severely really denied the Lord is now going to actually die for the Lord. And it seems that after this mention of this to Peter, that he's been restored, commissioned for ministry, this prophecy of his future, it seems now that Peter and Jesus kind of take a walk together. And it seems in this last little vignette we have in John's gospel before we pass off the scene with this gospel that a little conversation happens between Jesus and Peter as they kind of walk away from the group and take a stroll together. And during this walk, there's this final recorded conversation where the main lesson is that in order for Peter to finish well, he needs to keep his eyes on the Lord. And it's a very good reminder for all of us. So after these indications to him, Jesus now gives to Peter what is both, I believe, really an invitation as well as an instruction there in verse 19. Look at it. It says that when he had spoken these things to Peter, he then said to him, follow me. Now, as I said, I think that's both an invitation and an instruction. First of all, that's an invitation from Jesus. Just in the most literal sense, they're sitting there. Remember, they were having a breakfast together, Jesus and a group of the disciples. And they have a little conversation. Then Jesus publicly restores Peter in front of the rest of the disciples, probably assuring them, I'm not finished with him. It does not matter that he failed. He's still usable for me. And now at this point, I sense that basically Jesus kind of invites Peter basically to get up 
and to to go for a walk with him and and, and to move away from the others and what they were doing and to go for a walk. I kind of sense when Jesus says to him, follow me, that in essence, he's saying, hey, Peter, come with me for a minute. Let's let's take a walk on the beach for a minute. Come with me and let's let's step away here and take a walk together and get alone for a moment. And it appears that Jesus wanted to have a moment of personal time with Peter away from the others to maybe talk about some things, maybe to have personal dialogue about something else between just the two of them or maybe quality fellowship that Jesus could have his full attention to be focused on him so the Lord could maybe instruct him or give him some guidance without distraction. And let me just say, the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And how awesome that our Lord Jesus invites us as his followers at times to get away and to be alone with him. And he at times will call us away from the circumstances or the crowd or from other people to kind of just be alone with him. Maybe to go for a walk with him on a beach in this area or just around our neighborhood or to just get away to a quiet place in our house or something or just have a time where we can just be alone with the Lord. And I think he desires the same for us, that at times we pull away from people and the circumstances and find a quiet place to have a quiet heart to just be alone with him and so that we can give him, like Peter here, our full attention without distraction and other things going on and we can just be focusing on him where the Lord wanting our full attention that he might offer us some helpful instruction or guidance for our lives and he desires the same to at times call us away even as he says Peter come here let's follow me a minute and, and kind of pulls him off to the side is what's going on here and I, the song of Solomon in the Old Testament is this beautiful record of a romantic love story between a man and a woman and the passionate romance and love between two individuals but by the same token the song of Solomon is also in a symbolic way a beautiful picture of the love relationship that we can have with Jesus as his followers and song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 10 says this my beloved spoke and said to me rise up my love my fair one and come away and I look at that and I think what a beautiful thing because love desires that love desires occasions to be alone with the one that the person is in love with to have their full attention. I mean, I be the first to admit that I'm drastically in love with my wife and my one of my favorite things is to be alone with my wife. To have her away from everybody else, to have her full attention, to have her away from the kids and just to to at times be alone with her. I want her full attention. I desire that because I love her. In the same way, think about Jesus, the groom. You and I are called the bride of Christ. He wants at times for us to just be away. And he whispers the same thing to us. The Bible tells us, Acts chapter 10 and Galatians chapter 2, that God shows no partiality and he doesn't show personal favoritism to any man, which means that he wants the same for you and I. At times, that's the voice of the Lord speaking to us. He says to us, come away with me. Come, let's get alone together. I think the question perhaps to ask is, do you hear the Lord's voice at times inviting you to, come away with him to get alone with him 
in the morning or at your lunch break to get away from everyone else and eat your lunch quietly somewhere else if that's the time it needs to be or for a little time in the evening to pull away from the TV show or the voice or whatever, te- you know, whatever television that, and, and let's just come away. Come away from the cable box. Spend a little time with me. I want to tell you something. I want to show you something and just have fellowship with you. And I want to encourage you, take advantage of occasions when Jesus invites you to get alone with him. I don't know about you, but it does my heart and my soul and my mind good to be alone with Jesus. It's imperative for me. I'm a mess if not. I purposely have to, if I'm not going to behave wrongly, get up before my family. Listen, I live with four ladies. Love them. Love them. But there's a lot of talky, 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 walky, talky. That goes on in my home. So I need to get up so I can talky-talky with Jesus before all the girls start talky-talking with one another and talky-talking with dad and husband and do this, blah, blah, blah. So it does me well. I need that time alone with the Lord. It's a busy world. Things are pulling us here and pulling us there and we're trying to take care of that responsibility and children and bills. Listen, you have to find a way to get a, and the Lord wants this. He's calling us to be away with Him. We have to recognize He's invite. Think of the privilege that He invites us to do that. Gives us an invitation. I love David's words in Psalm 27, verse 8, when he said that the Lord says, Seek my face. And David says, My heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. The Lord initiates. And He does the same today. He's saying to us, If we listen to a still small voice, Seek my face. Seek my face. And David says, My heart said in response, Lord, your face I will seek. I'll take the invitation, Lord. I'm going to go and spend time with you. And these two words of Jesus, as I said, beautiful words. Certainly it's an invitation. But it also is, let me say as well, those two words follow me. It wasn't just an invitation to go get away with Jesus for a private walk. This also is a very important instruction from Jesus as well. It's a directive. It's a command. Whenever Jesus says anything, it's a directive. It's a command. He's the Lord. And so as Jesus says to him, follow me, if Jesus was to rule over Peter's life as Lord, Peter's responsibility is to do what? Do whatever Jesus tells him to do. He's to let Jesus lead him, to let the Lord guide him and to follow Jesus wherever Jesus is going, whatever Jesus asked. That was what Peter's job was that day and that was his job every day. His responsibility as a follower of Christ is to let the Lord Jesus Christ lead him to obey that instruction and to the extent Peter obeyed that instruction of his Lord saying follow me that would ensure that Peter would be a lot more stable going forward and that he would finish well as he was following Jesus and to follow Jesus think of it practically it meant that Peter needed to stay close to the Lord he needed to be able to keep his eye on the Lord and he needed to follow wherever Jesus went and let Jesus be in control. And can I say those two words in the word of God are probably one of the clearest pictures of what the Christian life really is intended to be from the time we embrace the Lord until we die. 
There's the simplicity of what does it mean to live a Christian life? Well, simply it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus. To let the Lord lead us. And what does it take to truly follow a person? If you think of that by way of illustration, if I were to say to you today, hey, follow me. You don't know where I live, for example. Follow me and I'll, I'll take you to my house. Or let's say if I were to say something like, you know, if you want to become like me, then y- y- you have to follow what I do or follow me. If you want to become like me, then you have to follow me and, and I'll show you how to do that. Well, those are two things Jesus would say. If you want to come to my father's house, if you want to be like me and be Christ-like, follow me. Well, if a person says, hey, follow me, let me show you where my house is, think of that practically. What do you need to do? If you're going to follow a person to their home and you don't know where they live, to follow them, number one, you need to stay near them. You have to purposely stay close to them. You need to be with them or near them. And you you need to remain close, which means you also need to keep pursuing after them. You need to keep your eye on them. You need to stay close enough so that you can keep your eye on them. And more importantly than anything, you need to be willing to allow them to be in control. You need to actually let them lead and follow them. If you're truly following them, you're not suggesting where you're going. You're just submissively letting them be in control and following them wherever they go. And can I say that is a very clear picture spiritually of what it means when Jesus says to his disciples, follow me. We need to do the exact same thing spiritually as we would do practically. We have to decide to follow after Jesus rather than our own ideas or the ideas of other people that they have for us. We need to stay close to Jesus. We have to keep pursuing Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord. And most importantly, we need to let or allow Jesus to guide our lives and not be self-governed and not be guiding our own lives and going where we want and doing what we want, but truly letting the Lord, listen, it's a tough word, be in control and letting him have complete control and letting him lead us. We don't lead ourselves anymore. Letting Jesus lead us and follow us That instruction, follow me, is the basic commitment of what it means to be a Christian or a Christ follower. Think of just John's gospel alone as we've studied it together. The statements we've seen in chapter 1, it says Jesus approached Philip, revealed himself to him and said to him, follow me. John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And he said, therefore, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We see these repeated statements. John chapter 10, Jesus called himself the good shepherd. He said, my sheep know my voice and they follow me. I think of Peter's life in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus is walking on the Sea of Galilee and he sees Simon, Peter, and Andrew fishing at their nets and Jesus calls out to them. And I love his statement. He says to them, he says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And I love the, the, the indication there. You follow me and I'll make you become what I want you to become. Oh, man, I, I wish I could become this. I wish I could become, I wish I could become a better Christian. I w- Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you become what I want you to become. The simplicity of that, of keeping our eyes on the Lord. Jesus in Luke 29, or excuse me, Luke 9, 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. How do you know this morning if you're truly a Christian? 
If there's one of you here and you're like, am I really saved? Am I really a, a Christian? Well, your life will be characterized by this. You follow Jesus. How do I know if I'm Do you follow Jesus? Do you live for Jesus and let Jesus lead your life? That's a pretty clear indication. Well, as Peter obeys the Lord and starts to follow him, watch what happens in our story. They're walking together. Verse 20 says, And then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who also had leaned on his breast at the supper, saying, Lord, is this, or who is the one who betrays you? And Peter, turning around, seeing John, that's who he's referring to, verse 21, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Now watch what happens here. Though Peter is walking with Jesus as he should, and he's following Jesus as he was told, what happens? He now gets distracted. He technically takes his eyes off the Lord and he loses focus and gets distracted. That's a problem we can all fall prey to. And look how it happens. The Bible tells us John, verse 20, is referring to himself there, the gospel writer. He's identifying himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. We know John always called himself by that title. We also know John was the one who was leaning back against the Lord during the supper in the upper room. So John here indicates that when Peter and Jesus got up and started walking away, basically John's inferring, honestly, I started trailing them. Uh, it, that was me. I started following them and I started trailing behind them. He's simply admitting and indicated it was him who started following Jesus and Peter as they got up and walked away together. Now, perhaps John was curious about what they were going to talk about. Uh, maybe John was upset he wasn't included. Sometimes people struggle with that. Whatever the case, John's desire to be included, let's be honest, sort of ultimately becomes an intrusion between what Jesus and Peter are doing, having their private moment together. And as a result of that, a fellow believer, Peter, ends up getting distracted. And he takes his eyes off of the Lord because he's distracted by John. And John's action and John's behaviors inadvertently take attention off the Lord and draw attention to himself. And I think this is just a good, healthy thing for us, a reminder. We really need to be careful, even as believers, that our actions or our behavior at times does not inadvertently result in causing people to take their focus off the Lord and get distracted by you. And there are different ways that we can do that, and we need to be sensitive to that. This causes Peter to stumble. It causes a misunderstanding to happen. We read about in the end of the chapter as well. But John's desire to be included in something perhaps he really wasn't supposed to be included in, and just John's behavior and actions in general, what he was doing, inadvertently draw attention to himself and take another believer's focus off of the Lord. God help us. We never ever want to be guilty of that kind of thing. Well, somehow sensing they're being followed, Peter becomes distracted because verse 20 says he, look at it, he turns around and saw John, the disciple, following. So Peter senses there's someone perhaps nearby. Underline this, I have it in my Bible, underline Peter turning around. Peter turning around. Can I just say simply, it's never a good thing when you're following Jesus to turn around. That, that always results in a problem. What was Peter doing prior to this? He's focused on the Lord. He's walking with the Lord. He's following the Lord. And now he turns around and looks back. He looks elsewhere and he becomes distracted. 
He takes his eyes off the Lord. He takes his focus off the Lord. For a moment, you could say, basically, he briefly stops following the Lord because apparently he turns around because he's distracted and wants to see what's going on around him. And something takes his attention off the Lord. Something, more than something, actually someone becomes a distraction in his life. And that's a mistake, as I said, we can all fall prey to. It's something we can all struggle with at times. We're focused on following Jesus. We're walking with the Lord. Our eyes are on him like they're supposed to be. Then something draws our attention away from the Lord. Or then someone takes our focus off of the Lord. Or something that happens circumstantially among our life. It causes us to turn from where we're going. We lose focus on the Lord and we get sidetracked and sort of distracted somewhat. And distractions can come in so many different forms. It doesn't even have to be a bad thing to be distracted. I'm not talking about, well, you, you know, go back to your old carnal ways before you were following the Lord. I mean, it, does, it could be the most simple of things that draw our attention and focus off the Lord. And we sometimes people even briefly stop following the Lord because something has distracted them in such a way and got them worked up or confused or they're so focused on this now and, and we're drawn to something happening among us and it gets our focus off the Lord. Or perhaps some person or a situation. I mean, it can, it can be so many different types of things. It can be little situations that arise and, and it gets us all you know, worked up or, or people or, or even good things for that matter can be distractions. Just things that cause us to get our attention off the Lord and we become sidetracked and derailed. And can I just say this morning could just be a good opportunity perhaps for us to just do a little spiritual inventory. And to ask ourselves, has something like this happened to you in some way recently where your attention has been taken off the Lord or you've gotten distracted in some way? You've got your eyes off the Lord because you got focused on this or that person or, or whatever it may be or what's happening in some situation. Look how Peter responds here to this distraction in verse 21. He turns around and look what he does. He says to Jesus, very interesting what happens, <clears throat> but Lord, what about this man? <clears throat> Excuse me. Here's what's happening here. Peter is curious about what's going to happen in John's life. Pay attention in comparison to his life. Because think about it. Jesus has just said to Peter what? Peter, you're going to live to an old age in verse 19. You're going to actually die in a manner that's going to glorify God and you're going to be faithful until the very end. And with that thought in Peter's mind, curiosity now makes him inquire, hmm, well, how's John going to do in his spiritual walk? Is he going to be as faithful to the end as I am? Is he going to have to die in the same way I'm going to die? Lord, what are you going to do in his life? He basically says there, Lord, what about this man? What about him? What's going to happen in his life? What's going on with him? And what a fitting illustration of, let me just say, our sinful human nature that tragically is way too curious about what's going on in everybody else's life. That's way too concerned at times about what's happening with others. It's that old, well, well what about him? Well, I mean, well, what about her? You know, inquiring minds want to know, right? They got to know. We yearn. That is why I'm convinced. That is why things like news and uh, you, know, you know forms of media and the you know uprising of social media and where everybody knows everything. 
I blink. Let me record it or whatever you do or selfie it or tag it or whatever. I don't do social media so you can tell I'm messing that up already. But just, I mean, everybody knows everything that's going on there. But why? Because that's innate human nature. By nature, we are innately so nosy. We're so curious that we have to know what's going on in everybody's life. And that's why these things work so well. That's why some of these reality TV shows that like document what's going on in people's lives, people love to watch them because you've got to know what's going on. And there's something within our humanity that causes us to be inherently curious for some reason. It's a weakness of our flesh. We always want to know what's going on in other people's lives. And let's be very candid, not necessarily because we're just so concerned about everybody. Oftentimes, we're in an undue way way too curious is what the problem is to an undue uh, extreme. You know, what about them and what are they doing and are they going to be allowed to be involved when I'm allowed in? Are, 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 are you going to do the same in their life and will they get the same opportunity as me and, and, and how are they doing and what's the plan for their life? And, and here, Peter so far goes with that that he actually asks the Lord directly about what's going to happen in John's life and goes to show as a believer Peter was this unhealthy curiosity is clearly a struggle even among the followers of the Lord oh yeah people in the world are like that no 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 no. Peter's a follower of Jesus and this undue curiosity in a healthy way of being in other people's business is something that even is a struggle for Christians in the church. In fact, the Bible even addresses it in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 4 gives this direct instruction. Aspire to lead a quiet life to mind your own business. Imagine that, it's in the Bible. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Again, what's he doing? He's giving practical Christian advice about the will of God. Just lead a quiet life. Lead your own quiet life. Maybe you don't have to tell everybody as much what's going on in your business. And then mind your own business. Stay out of everyone else's. And find something productive to do. Work with your hands. The idea is then, because sometimes the reason people have way too much time to be curious is because they have way too much time on their hands. And I can prove that because in 1 Timothy chapter 5, there's a warning against... It says idle women within the church and it says this, 1 Timothy 5, warn idle women from wandering from house to house becoming busybodies and gossips saying things they ought not. Again, another instruction, a caution against that. We need to all be careful because one way to get distracted from following Jesus and keeping our eyes on him is to become way too curious about what's going on in other people's lives, worrying about what's going to happen with him or her, or or even wanting to see what God's plan is in someone else's life. Well, God, what are you going to do in their life? What are you doing in their life? Because we want to compare it to ours somehow and it can always be a dangerous thing. So Lord, what about this man? Well, look how Jesus responds. Verse 22, he says to Peter, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And I imagine there's a little bit of sternness there in the Lord. I mean, Jesus here rebukes Peter. He rebukes him for his curiosity about John and over God's will for another person's life. He basically says there in verse 22 there, Peter, if I will or choose that John remain alive till I come, why is that really a concern of yours? Is it really necessary and how is that important to you? He's my servant. 
I will work in his life uniquely, Peter. Your responsibility is simply follow me. Or put it simply, Peter, what I do in another person's life, it's not your business. What is your business is that you follow me yourself, that you keep your eyes on me. Even simpler, Peter, mind your own business and just focus on following me. That's more than enough to keep you busy, Peter. I know it's more than enough to keep me busy in my own life for sure. Sometimes we all need kind of this same periodic perhaps charge from the Lord when we become a little too curious about other people's lives. We get a little too concerned about keeping track or tabs on what's going on with that family or this person or how they're doing things and in an undue and unhealthy way. And listen, please hear me. I am not saying that we should not care about other people. I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about other people. There's a balance to that. But when we become too curious and too concerned where we're having to keep tabs and we're probing maybe beyond we really should probe uh, in such a way or we're trying to compare our life with what God's doing in other people's lives, that really is unhealthy. And we need to be careful of that. And sometimes we need that charge of the Lord. He kind of subtly says, mind, look, mind your own business here. Just mind your own business. You keep following me. And truthfully, what the Lord is doing in another person's life in most ways, usually really, it's not really our business. They're the Lord's servant. And he's working in their lives. That's his business. And if he wants to include me in a small way, that's one thing. But beyond that, I need to keep my unhealthy curiosity to want to keep tabs on somebody in check and subdue that. And not, worst of all, not let it then become a purpose for criticism. And this happened among the church in Rome where Romans 14.4, Paul says, Who are you to judge another man's servant to his own master he stands or falls? Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. In other words, Paul gave that instruction by the Spirit. And he says, well, hold on a minute. Uh, are, are you the Lord of this person's life? I thought Jesus was the Lord of their life. Who are you to judge another man's servant? That's the Lord's servant. And, and to his own master, he'll stand and fall. And the idea is just sort of is to let the Lord work in people's lives and not feel that we have to. And just to give the Holy Spirit freedom to work as he knows what needs to be done in that person's life. He knows what he intends for that person. And I found that the Lord can take each person through different stages of growth to help them follow him and work uniquely in his timing and his way in their life. And we may have a very, very small part or participation, but sometimes we need to use self-control, keep our nose out of people's business, not get hyper-concerned that if we don't jump in and play the Lord in their life, they're never going to get to where they need to be and never going to experience what they need to experience, but to realize just let the Lord work. Let Him work in people's lives. Let him be who he's supposed to be. And how the Lord works in someone else's life, his unique plan or purpose, shouldn't really be our focus as well. And this is the other thing, by that way of comparison, where Peter kind of said, well, Lord, here's what you're doing in my life, but what are you going to do in John's life? How's it going to work in his life? Can I caution you? Be careful of that. Because Jesus works uniquely in everybody's life. And how he worked in this guy's life may not be the same way how he's going to work in my life. And what he's doing in your life is not necessarily going to be a mirror image and pattern of exactly how things are going to unfold in that person's life. Well, well, they waited that long to get married. Who cares? Are you following Jesus or are you following a schematic of other Christians? Oh, well, well this person got into ministry that way or this person, did, or, or they did this or, or they, you know, they turned off these channels or they raised their kids this way. Who cares? 
cares? How is Jesus leading you? I assure you, if you follow that, you'll be safe. You'll be safe. Follow the Lord. His pattern, yes, follow the scripture. There are generic things. But be careful of having to try and emulate all these patterns of how's the, what is the Lord doing in that person's life and then to try and emulate that because what's going to happen, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be like David trying to wear Saul's armor. Remember when David was out to fight, fight Goliath and, 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 and he said, here, he's just a little guy. He's got a slingshot. I mean, you're going to be a giant with a slingshot. Here's my armor, son. Take the king's armor. And David put him on, put on that battle armor, and he said, "These don't fit me." He was like, you know, he was like it was like weighing him down. He was just a little. And David, oh, this doesn't work. I'm a, I'm a little slingshot guy. Give me a slingshot. Give me a stone. That was what he was proficient in. And what did he do? He slayed Goliath by being who he was, and letting the Lord use him the way he was, and not having to emulate the pattern of other people. Follow the Lord. Don't worry about what the Lord's doing in other people's eyes. This can likely be a very big distraction because it's likely the Lord's not going to work in your individual life the same way he's working in other people's lives. And though we should lovingly care, we have to be careful that we don't do one of two things. Two bad words. Meddle. That's not good. Don't meddle. That's undue curiosity. Don't meddle in people's lives. But also be careful, other word, that you're not measuring always trying to measure your life like Peter here off of what somebody's doing in John's life don't measure off of other people measure off of Jesus listen to the voice of the Lord he says Peter what business of, of yours what I'm going to do in John's life you follow me don't look back don't look at others keep your eyes on me the Lord's saying Jesus said in Luke 9 no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God well verse 23 says then Jesus, or this saying, excuse me, Jesus said, went out among the brethren that this disciple, John, was not going to die. Yet, John tells us, Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? So John indicates there, verse 23, that what Jesus said that day to Peter about him actually, look at this, becomes the first church rumor. Really? It's right there in the Bible. This was the first church rumor. It was about John because of what happened being a conversation between Peter and Jesus. And look who's the one who, who's guilty of being misunderstood. It was poor Jesus. They were trying to say, and it was, and keep in mind, John is writing this decades later trying to correct something that apparently was a misunderstanding circulating for decades when he's now writing this gospel. On that day, John says, look, I was there. People began talking about what happened or supposedly happened, and they started incorrectly saying that John was not going to die, that Jesus had actually said something that he did not really say. And as a result of that, misinformation is spreading around, misunderstandings, rumors, and wrong observations about people and situations and perspectives. And John's trying to clarify what did get said, and what did not get said. And he's trying to clarify what really did happen and what really didn't happen because people thought they heard something, but they really didn't hear it. And then secondhand information and the whole thing gets passed around. And can I just say, boy, nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Even among God's people, the same thing still happens. People think something was said 
or they think something was done and they wrongly assume and then connect the dots and things happen and people think about it and talk about it and secondhand information starts to move around the circle. I've, I've pastored two churches. I've seen it multiple times over and over again. And it's always just harmful and destructive and ruins relationships and causes confusion and people have wrong perspectives and wrong ideas and it's never healthy. It just misleads people and then they get wrongly accused of things. And worse yet, here, Jesus is the one that was getting wrongly accused out of everybody. They were saying that Jesus said this and John said, Jesus did not say I wasn't going to die. He said, Jesus just said, if I will that I remain alive till he comes, what is that to you? Look, you're misconstruing what the Lord said. And he's going to have to clarify this here years later. People even at times, sadly, they start to question the Lord when this kind of stuff happens. They get stumbled and they, they, they question the Lord or worse. And the people even start to question and misconstrue the word of the Lord. And that's by all means horrible. We never want to misconstrue the word of the Lord himself. These type of things... What do they do? They take people's focus off the Lord. Because that's what happens. I've watched this. I mean, I've sat through meetings and meetings. You know, and and, and I want, this is what happens. The focus gets totally off the Lord. And everybody's focus is upon the situation or people or what's being said or what. They, and it just takes so much focus off the Lord. And the devil goes. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is, this is just a a weakness of the flesh and it's just something the devil manipulates in our lives and, and it's just such a sad thing and, and John here he's trying he says look Jesus did not say that this is what was really said he's trying to, to clarify it to let the truth set free in the situation well verse 24 John then concludes saying this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things and we know that his testimony is true so John's affirming look I'm an eyewitness man I was trailing them I wasn't supposed to be I heard what was said my testimony is true I'm a first hand witness he says I'm trying to confirm what the wrong perceptions are here to set things straight I participated I was right there he said when it all happened and again it's just trying to clarify that he's the one who wrote this gospel and his testimony is first-hand testimony, and that's why it's true. And that's always the best kind of testimony. If we want good testimony, we want first-hand testimony. Go to the source. And John says, look, I was there. My testimony, it's accurate. And then he concludes the summary of his gospel, verse 25, by stating this. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself, a little bit of hyperbole John uses, could not contain the books that would be written. And then he says, Amen. So John, under the Spirit's direction here, informs us of something interesting. He says there in verse 25, not everything Jesus did and everything Jesus said actually is recorded and written down for us. He says there are many other wonderful things that the Lord did, wonderful things that he said. I'm personally convinced that's part of what we're going to get to enjoy in heaven. No more need for pastors or teachers. We're going to be with Jesus sitting at his feet. Let me, let me tell you what, what I really meant when I said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. I, I, mean, I know you heard some good sermons, but I actually said it. Let me tell you what I really meant. And, and the Bible says in Ephesians 2, for all of eternity, 
One of the things he's going to be doing is showing us the incomparable riches of his grace and kindness. We're going to be learning and discovering more and more. And though we have many wonderful things written down, sermons and teachings and words of Jesus and things that he did, John says here, it's not all written down. The idea is that even the great amount of understanding we have about the Lord, it's still limited at best. Now listen, that also means this, what the Holy Spirit chose to record and write down is sufficient. It's sufficient. What God gave to us, he gave to us under the guidance of his spirit and it is more than sufficient to allow us to know Jesus Christ, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and though we don't have everything written down, we may at least take advantage of what we do have written down and learn it and get to know our Lord and see what he's like and discover him that we might not just find facts about Jesus but that we might follow Jesus that we might focus on the Lord. I love how John ends his gospel, if you think of it, especially in connection to this, Peter getting distracted, taking his eyes off the Lord, losing focus, Jesus redirecting, get your eyes off of that. You follow me. And here, what does John do in his last breath as he closes out his gospel? He brings the focus back where? To Jesus. There are many other things that Jesus did, he said, and, and, and he just draws the attention right back to the Lord. And, and you know what? The Holy Spirit, perhaps the one encouragement he has for us as we look at this passage, we conclude this book this morning, is get your eyes on the Lord. <coughs> now, I have a very strong conviction that one of the biggest problems with the American church is people are too focused on themselves. You are way too focused on yourselves. And I'm preaching to the choir. One of the biggest demons in my life is I get way too introspective. And as human beings, even our, let me look at the, the crux of social media. We are way too focused on ourselves. Stop focusing on yourself so much. Stop thinking about yourself. Stop talking about yourself. Stop ad- Stop focusing on yourself. And stop focusing on other people. Get your eyes on the Lord. Follow Jesus. Let's pray together.